0: Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm producer Bill. I'm Ed Greer. And today, this is a little bit of a companion piece to our Greatest Origins episode, which unfortunately I had to miss. So it's only fair that Ron now has to miss Greatest Deaths. We've done that, we've done the start. <laughs> now we're gonna do the end. <laughs>
1: Oh man, that is that is pretty funny. Yeah, we we bookend it. I think uh, it, it, Ron Ron's positive energy is is perfect to match up with, you know, greatest origins the 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 beginning, the nascent voyages of something you know, full of potential. And you're good for the punishing nature of death. It's inexorable yeah. <laughs> crawl. <laughs> you, you are good to exemplify this, and and I'm very glad to be discussing it with you.
0: I will cast my icy Paul over this podcast. So (laughs) uh, let me ask you off the top of the, off the top of the dome. What are some of what's one of your great deaths in all of pop culture, be it comics, film, television, what have you.
1: For my generation, my man, it has to be Tony Montana.
0: Mm. Uh, There's a
1: whole, whole, whole generation or three of young folks and college kids and all sorts of ne'er-do-wells who just love to identify with tony montana's story and don't really mind his death mm-hmm. they don't really mind it. it It it's a cautionary tale for some but it's also like a top of the world ma type of thing for others it's like a, hey man if you got to go out man those dudes was trying to play him and he just had to show him who's boss. And he picked. He bit off more than he could chew. That's true. But fuck it, man. Sometimes you just got to go out. You know, there's something like that to his death. But when you really look into it, it also has shades of the whole movie. Like that very night, he gets capped up a little bit by his own sister because she's, you know, uh, uh, her husband has been murdered by his punk ass and mm-hmm. his jealous sort of. I don't know what is it when you not quite incestuous, but close, uh, yeah. just jealousy that's fucked up her life. And she like takes some shots at him. And like, that's part of why he's like injured when he's getting shot up later. It's just like that day was a bad day for Tony. And it was all of his chickens come home to roost.
0: There is something interesting comparing that ending to like the end of any Scorsese gangster epic where mm. Scorsese is often always, I would say very deliberate, to show you that like these stories of the illegal rise to power end not with a bang, but with a whimper and like everybody Mm -hmm. just comes out worse in the end. There is something, if not triumphant, then at least like cheerable about the fact that fucking Tony Montana goes out on his own terms. He spends no time in jail. He's Mm -hmm. not bowing to anybody. He's Mm going to take them all with them. Mm-hmm. And like there's a certain nihilistic glee to that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just I mean, and and it's it, it links to like ancient peoples, you know. Mm-hmm. His like he's got a face full of raw cocaine. <laughs> like and he's he's got a mountain of it on his desk. And then he comes out with an M sixteen an M sixteen. Uh, of any variety, but a really fresh modification is what he had in that movie with the fre- with the air holes on the side and shit, mm. and a uh, underslung uh, grenade launcher that was like having a laser gun in 1982 or whatever the fuck. Yeah. That, that you know what I'm saying? He came out with a big ass laser gun and just fucked everybody up, and it was like the ultimate in uh, the home invasion fantasy of the American. You know what I mean? Mm, like, yeah. like a bunch of motherfuckers roll up, and you just happen to be ready for all of them. He only got got by a really cowardly little punk who ninjaed up, ninjaed him from the back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And even then, he took like you know two elephant gun blasts, and then he fell into a fucking fountain that was inside the lobby of his home. I don't know if
0: you can go out better better than that really. <laughs> That's that Brian De Palma imagery, you know. <laughs> it's also there are shades of classic western stories and not even like fictional stories. I'm thinking almost of like the Alamo or mm-hmm. on yeah. the flip or on the flip side like the Aztecs trying to hold off the conquistadors. Mm-hmm. You know, that that feeling of like he's the last of his breed. And like no one will ever achieve this power again, you know. It's sort of like the empire dies with him, and he's mm-hmm. in his castle making that last stand against the invading hordes. It's well, dude, it is it's it's epic and sort of mythological in that way.
1: And I mean, if we're gonna go deep on Scarface, let's do it. His whole comment to his uh, to his wife about like your womb is so polluted, you can't even give me a kid. It's like he – it seems like he probably dies without heirs, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, did I miss a kid in there? No, I don't no, think so. He dies not. without heirs, doesn't leave behind this generational wealth because it's all just stacked up cash. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like He has built businesses and stuff. I'm quite sure that could be some funds of that could be handed down. But, like, I don't know, man. I just think once the law and probate and whatever the fuck gets through with all of his money, even if he had kids, it just – it's weird. It's like the American dream. He didn't even get a chance to go legit enough to hand down any generational wealth that he made. His attitude towards being rich is, is sort of a nouveau riche in terms of coke dealer rich and his ambition to get way above that but not learn any of the social rules or not abide by the social rules. Like, OK, if you're ever going to get to our level at your level, you have to kill people's wives and kids. You have to do a lot of bad stuff to get enough cultural currency with us. You can get a lot of currency. You can be rich in that world. But there are certain things we will not allow you to do. Certain amounts of weight we will not allow you to buy unless you do X, Y, and Z for us. And when he bumped up against that, like, wait a minute, in order to truly achieve, I'm hurting fiends and I'm shooting up people who mess up my territory. But I got to hurt actual, real, innocent people in order to advance in this game? I don't think so. That, That goes against the code that I've adopted for myself. And the powers that be said, you can't do it that way, and we gotta make an example out of you. And just there's so much to his death that is like you know, a dream deferred, didn't really have time to go legit. He probably wouldn't have gone legit because he had too many psychoses. Yeah, he caused every single thing that happened to him, but you could still see it as an injustice from a certain point of view. It's just got everything you need to be a classic death. So yeah, I
0: think that was a good Kickstarter for us, Tony very, Fucking Montana. Yeah, man, very complex. I like that a lot. I just saw, I also just saw Spider Verse, and I'm not going to talk about it because we're in the window where not everybody's seen it yet. It is mm. amazing. Get your ass to go see Across the Spider Verse. But that puts me in the mood to talk about the Prowler in Into the Spider Verse. Mm. Miles Morales' uncle in Into the Spider Verse. That blew me away when I first saw it because I did not see the death of his uncle coming to have that resonance with the Peter Parker story to go through that same sort of trial by fire. And the fact that it happens so without fanfare, like it's in the moment when he he stops himself because he realizes, oh my God, this person I'm trying to kill is my nephew. I can't do it. Boom, literally the next moment just bullet to the back because he hesitated. And that's yep. it. And it yep. was it, it just worked so well in that classic comic book trope of like all these things I could do and I couldn't save him. And I watch him die right in front of me. But yet the context and the circumstances are so different than the mm-hmm. Uncle Ben moment, are so mm-hmm. not what you would expect, not where you would expect that to happen it both worked as like the most obvious echo of what you would expect while also being completely unexpected. I loved that complexity to it.
1: No, I, I really love that. And I love the fact that, you know, the de- deaths in these things, the person's life has to have contributed to the story mm. or another character in the story to such a degree that their death has any value. So it's really the greatest deaths is really sort of in indictment or or an upliftment or whatever of having characters actually resonate so that when they go away the the people feel something you know yeah you're fighting your uncle you shouldn't be superheroing you shouldn't have done x you shouldn't have done y and you're out there it's, it's it is sort of your fault but you couldn't have stopped it like like Peter, but technically you could have because you could have been you could have been a better Spider-Man at that moment. Right. Exactly. All this jazz, you know what I mean? It's 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 got yeah, it's it's playing the uh the lower register of that same melody or whatever, whatever you say in music.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's the minor key. Right? Minor as, key as yes. opposed to the major key. Mm-hmm. And I also think to your point, it speaks to the fact that they did so much with really limited screen time for that Prowler character in the movie, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because in the comics, I mean, the Prowler's been around for a long time, but he has always been D list, C list, maybe. As I mean, Spider Man Road.
1: Big ups for making the Prowler somebody that Miles was scared of. It's an interesting psychological mechanism to like. You just get these powers. You're a little kid. We established that he's he's a kid, kid, and then like a real monster that's sent by the the biggest kingpin in the in the city. This thing that is at his behest that just zooms and zips around places just so fast and so menacingly, and then yeah it's your fucking uncle you know what yeah. I'm
0: saying it's great stuff yeah agreed and I think kind of in that same bucket less affecting but still kind of meeting the same criteria I just laid out was the death of Aunt May in Spider-Man No Way Home yeah and that the fact that, that, that one was great dude they it, I to this day I'll never forget I leaned over I forget if I was with my ex or with my brother but i leaned over to whoever i was seeing it with in the theater and i'm like holy shit they just uncle ben to aunt may (laughs) (laughs) yes you know what i mean yes yeah and it's like it's the last thing you ever would have expected especially because for you know three four movies already you'd had spider-man and it was just taken as a given like uncle ben was dead he had these feelings of guilt they never got into the specifics of it, but you just sort of put it together. Like, okay, he has the classic Spider-Man origin. And then in that moment where she's injured and you're like, Oh, phew, she's not dead. But then she says with great power must come great responsibility. And you're like, no fucking way. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's just, there's something so artful to really registering surprise with a death, especially in an adaptation where theoretically, you should know or expect that whether it's that specific character or not, but just expecting that moment feels right. But to still be able to catch you off guard, that's that is a real narrative feat. and I, I gotta give that props. I mean, I I gotta tell you, I was one of
1: the people who thought that they were just going to do the thing. They cast a young actress so that they could just run this shit into the ground, yeah, and have him, you know, worried about wheat cakes, this and and got to get to church that uh, for years to come. I really thought that was the way, but what they did was so much. In my personal opinion, better than that. My only Marvel standoms that really remain, I love the Avengers movies, and I really like I really like a lot of things about the Peter Parker movies, but I've always yearned for exactly what they did at the end, which is just he's on his own. He's a super genius, but nobody knows him, and nobody's going to vouch for him. He's got weird powers, and he looks weird. And people think he's a menace, but the people in the streets know he's good, but he has no one to rely on. He's it's worse than having to take care of your aged aunt or 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 to check in or to or to be under her thumb or to worry about it's worse than that. You don't even have anybody to lean on and nobody remembers you. You remember saving the world and nobody else does, dude. Anytime he goes up to any of those guys, they're gonna be like, Get the fuck away from me, freak, or whatever they're gonna say, or he's gonna have to beat their ass again. Every mind they ask, they're like, Look, bud, we already did this and I beat the shit out of you. So like, we don't have to, we don't have, you don't have to talk mean to me, bro. You know, my costume fits real good. You know what I mean? I made it myself. You know, just the DIY aesthetic of this new Spider-Man and the fact that he has no Aunt May to worry about slash have support from. It's kind of heartbreaking. Like it starts out heartbreaking and we see, you know, how he's going to deal with, with being a heartbroken, messed up guy, but his own guy. Finally, his own guy. Finally.
0: And weirdly, his own guy, even with respect to other versions of Spider-Man, because it's like, while, exactly. while you leave him in the same place that you would want out of your Spider-Man, his journey there is substantially different. And that mm-hmm. is exciting in and of itself.
1: Yes. Exciting is a big word, dude, because the, the, the status quo that that sets up, there's so many directions you can go with that, but they all lead to. Scrappy guy against all odds, and that's what it's always been. It's supposed to be. He never was the he never got to sit at the cool kids' table, he never did. You know, classically, swinging home with a fantastic four uniform on and a paper bag. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, dude, this guy. This guy just gets in the jams. This guy gets locked out of his dorm room with a sock on his dick. You know what I'm saying? This guy <laughs> calamity follows this guy yes. and they, they, he would just calamity up into the Stark mansion calamity up into space in a super armored suit that could fucking fly. and had a hundred kill arms. Mm-hmm. Just like we never, we never got to see like a guy in like a wrinkled uh, suit jumping around that, that like Spider-Man that they intonated uh, or intoned when, um, Uh Stark shows him on his phone, like, look at you in your shitty suit catching a you know, catching a bus or catching a car against the bus. That Spider-Man in Endgame jumping around.
0: You know what I'm saying? I've always wanted that. You know what I mean? Well, you might get it because supposedly Spider-Man is gonna be like the de facto main character of either Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars. I'm not sure which. Um, whoa. So yeah, and there's a that's a that's a rumor that I am aware of. I forgot where I heard that or read that, but that seems to be the uh the going assumption. And oh, That's interesting. Yeah, which might also when you think about Secret Wars, Spider-Man, it might also indicate there's a black suit coming, who's to say? Yeah, I mean they they've got a little dollop
1: of a dollop of venom. do the dollop <laughs> dollop <it>. of venom. <laughs> <laughs> there's a dollop of venom in the in the uh what they call the 616 what the nerds call the 199999999 universe mm-hmm. um but yeah as far as also um deaths that to me were effective in marvel if we're going to be in this sector i really think i wanted to be super affected by uh gamora's death and i think i was i was able to accomplish that feat because <laughs> i it just it was so It was the right type of senseless, if you know what I mean.
0: I do know what you mean. I I mean, look, I'm on record already. I'll say it again. I think Infinity War is the best movie that Marvel's ever made. Like, that's just it's just a Swiss watch of a movie. And the fact that it does make you care about moments like that, where Mm -hmm. it's like, man, I don't even understand why this is affecting me but they just do so much right in the little bit of screen time that you get between her and Peter Quill, the little bit of backstory that you get between her and Thanos, the dynamics between those three characters. And then yes, the senselessness of like Thanos is on this weird quest because he's just this absolute zealot and like all she wants is love. And now she's found it with Peter Quill and she sees how nuts Thanos is and like by all accounts she should get the satisfaction of being able to help stop him on this mad quest given everything she's been through and nope now we're just going to throw her off a cliff like that is it's so like holy shit like we're playing for keeps it, it really mm-hmm. sends that message.
1: And I got to say, we've now been years hence. People know that, you know, Gamora uh, comes back as the 20, I guess, 14 version of herself. And that self never fell in love with Peter Quill. And so it's like a death of the relationship, a death of that whole timeline of what could have happened. Little half Gamora, half Peter Quill star babies with super strength and bionic enhancements Mm -hmm. running around that whole that's dead now. But like the version of Gamora that that loved him is dead. And this new one totally exists. And she will not cannot be with them because she didn't have that special alchemy of pheromones right. and experiences that made yes. it, made her fall in love with them. That makes the death all the better. And there's some Twitter fuckers out there with their Twitter fingers who have taken to calling um, the James Gunn uh, trilogy not all the way complete or super dope because the characters were kind of switched out and moved around because of the Ugh. events of other movies. And that's why it's not, if if only they could have done a pure, you know, this sort of ridiculous zealot these people are trying to base their personality on being upset about stuff that people uniformly find great. And I just don't understand that.
0: But people find it great with good reason. I think because, yeah. and, and this I think harkens back to the, how we've been talking about all the deaths, like, the purpose it serves in the story is so much more than just make someone sad. Right. And and so suddenly, because the the through line in both the Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 and the expanded universe movies has been that burgeoning romance, that slow burn romance, the fact that you can use her death to not explore loss from death but literally loss of love in a relationship Mm -hmm. and the fact that it turns the story in a way where now it's about how do you learn to love yourself in the aftermath of losing a great love, but not to circumstance, but just because they don't love you anymore. They fell out Mm -hmm. of love with you. Mm
1: -hmm. I want to
0: say it was Erica Badu that, that has said like possibly the worst pain a human being can feel is to be in love with someone and know that they don't love you back Mm -hmm. and like suddenly that is the milieu in which you have to tell this story and like i found that so affecting in guardians 3 yeah
1: when you really see true slobbering crying in a private setting in a movie you know what i'm saying just like wow dude oh speaking of which i'm thinking of 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 um I'm thinking of Boogie Nights, where Amber Waves, played by Julianne Moore, is like crying, smoking a cigarette, and she's trying to call her kid, and the kid's dad or guardian is like, "Just fuck off! You can't call this late. You crazy porn bitch. This just, this sucks." And she's just rocking back and forth, crying by herself. And Burt Reynolds, her ostensible husband man, is just away from it. Doesn't want to deal with it. He's out in the room, drinking from a snifter and just having a cool smoke or whatever. He doesn't want, he can't deal with it. These people aren't complex enough to deal with it. So he just leaves her to cry in the room while he, you know, chills out on the deck and thinks about making porns and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of in that world where people are so disconnected, Lil Bill from Boogie Nights has one of the greatest deaths of all time in screen history for Uh, real.
0: Yes. That's I'm, William, I'm, I'm H, gonna... William H. Macy, right?
1: Yes, yes. And he was like the, I guess, the uh, sort of gaffer slash sort of cinematographer type of guy, sort of gopher production guy, on, um, on the porns that you know uh, were done in the Boogie Nights movies and shit, and basically. His wife just sort of was very, you know, free and banging a lot of guys. And sort of banged guys in front of him. He just kept seeing this over and over again, public the sexual acts from his wife on guys, and maybe a couple guys uh, at the same time, you know. And mm-hmm. people just gathered around watching this stuff. And he's just like, "My wife's got an ass in her cock in the driveway." <laughs> so I don't want to talk about the cinematography of the film. You know right. what I mean? That 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 whole scene, and just right as 1980 is being rung in at the party he catches her again in the room in the, in the in the in the in the party that he's at with his wife he catches her in the room with like two guys it seems from the amount of bullets that he rains on these fools cuz they have a tracking shot of him walking out to his car grabbing his gun and i guess maybe putting bullets in it closes his car locks it locks his car Knowing he's going to go in here and do a murder-suicide, he locks his car. Mm. Beautiful touch.
0: Mm.
1: Walks back in and just ends up shooting up the guys. And then he shoots himself right in front of, I think, a painting. Uh, at, no, there's a painting of Little Bill that gets put where his, where his head got blown off later in the movie. Yeah. But yeah, to bring in 1980, just one character just couldn't make it to the decade tran- tran- uh, transition. Yeah one character couldn't make it to that new era because he'd just been so beaten down. And of course his crime is inexcusable on all levels, Mm -hmm. but it's like shows like just his, maybe him not being able to, to grok with the so-called depravity that he saw on the daily and have, how it, and how it affected his life. He obviously found his wife on a porn set and she obviously never left one. And he just thought he could like make a family in this world. And he couldn't because he didn't pick the right partner. Number one, there's so many people in the porn world who could probably be great wives and mothers, not this chick. Mm-hmm. And he just had vested so much in the relationship and blah blah. blah and he just went school shooter or, whatever, or or party shooter, and uh and it's fucked up. But it's like it it you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's almost like he's reflecting the human cost of living outside of social mores.
0: Completely. I've always found that death to sort of do two things in the context of the movie. Number one, you know, in the 70s, where the movie starts, they really go a long way to portraying the sort of like camaraderie of the porn industry. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, it almost paints a very rosy picture. And of course, it's because you're seeing it through the eyes of Dirk Diggler, who's kind of a naive guy and, you know, suddenly feels like he's found his place. That moment, that murder-suicide is where the entire movie turns mm-hmm. and it's also reflective, you know, not only of the dramatic turn, but of the turn that the industry takes from being sort of like this sub Hollywood niche filmmaking piece to like this gross exploitive, you know, videotape in the back of a car type of yeah industry. And so yeah. it's like, Him not being able to deal with all the things you just talked about is sort of the bellwether for like all of this is going to spin out of control, like whether you like it or not. And no matter how awesome it seemed when you first came in, again, in the the Scorsese way, it just can't end well. Um, Yeah, the honorable mention the fucking death of the
1: guy uh, in The Irishman. And I I don't even have to get more specific to that. If you haven't seen the movie, the (laughs) death of the guy and the death that you kind of intoned that he's going to have is so pathetic. And it's, it's, it's what you get after 100 years of service to this mafia ideal. You get you're a tight lipped. You shot a bunch of people. You buried a bunch of bodies. Good on you, bud but you don't get some great retirement you don't get to be on yachts you never get to be like the bosses it's kind of i think that death mirrors the tony montana thing in one way and that's when you obey you might end up like the guy i paint houses you know what i'm saying i, I you might end up with that life if you obey if you don't obey you end up dead earlier mm. you know what i'm saying it's like it's like the faustian bargain of being part of the so called Mafia, organized crime, this this high table, if you will, all of these power structures, you're going to live to be an old dude who probably doesn't get rewarded while you're chasing the carrot your whole life, because it seemed like that's what he was doing. He was being loyal and chasing a carrot his whole life, and it got him a lonely death in a shitty home.
0: Yeah, it's like he knew he knew nothing better. And so he was good at what he could be good at. But that doesn't that doesn't get you anything in the end.
1: And just like the trauma of bringing war back. the One thing I liked about that movie, I wish maybe in my heart of hearts, I love Scorsese. A young person who was obsessed with with a guy who brought war skills back. Obviously, you know, I love The Punisher. But like anybody like that, what do you do with war skills? And those are what you have, but you don't really have this sort of bean counter stuff. You really you're one of the few soldiers who came back with no discipline, really. He's disciplined in a way, but he's like, can I just shoot a guy? Can I get, can I steal some stuff? Can I just kind of get it going? I don't want to, you know,
0: you know, what's really interesting Um, a good exploration of that is Peaky blinders. Mm. And in a lot of ways, it's a little bit more of a pulp exploration. I mean, the Irishman could not be less pulp. I think because it's so sort of, Unvarnished realism and, and uns you know, sort of unsympathetic and and unsentimental in the way it portrays it. So Peaky Blinders, you know, has a little bit more style and pizzazz, but it does do the thing where when you bring back all that violence and all that trauma, and all you can do is crime to find something to do with it, it kind of gives you the other path where. If you're going to move past it, you have to find a way to give it up in order to find a real life. And Mm. like, you know, they do it bombastically. Peaky Blinders is not a sober Scorsese character study. But in the end, that character does have to find a way to give up that life in order to find like happiness and contentment. And so if you look at the long arc of that series, it's really about like, putting to bed that trauma of war and those, those predilections toward violence um, and tellingly, you know, I guess they're making a movie now, but Tommy Shelby, who Killian Murphy played, he, he never died in that series. He actually went on to live.
1: Oh, huh. well, that's, that's great. I, lo- I love it when you actually do learn your lessons, but that's the thing about a lot of these deaths is like, you don't, you really don't learn your lesson before it's too late.
0: I was going to say, I mean, when you brought up um, The Irishman, I do have a soft spot for random deaths. And the one that comes to mind immediately is Donnie and the Big Lebowski. Yes. You know what yes. I mean? Where it's, Yes. Like, it's just there to reinforce the randomness of the universe. Like, it, it, it doesn't really serve a larger narrative point. It's not motivating further action, but thematically, it's just perfect. Like, in a a movie that's all about how you cannot control things, no matter how small they are or no matter how hard you try, the universe is going to always find a way to, quote, literally pull the rug out from under you. (laughs) Like The coup de grace being the death of Donnie from a heart attack in a fight that they otherwise win is yeah. amazing to me
1: well i mean the coen brothers are good for a nonsensical last death dude oh, yeah. um you know because like i mean the one that just impacted me i gotta call it one of the greatest because i still think about it all the time is uh you know in, in no country for old men mm-hmm. where you don't get some valiant tony montana i'm fighting 50 guys and oh they got me but i, I took a bunch of them out that's more or less what happens when, when um, Llewellyn uh, Moss dies. That's more or less what happened. But they deny you seeing it because it would almost heroize the reason why he's in this situation. All the, I mean, the, he did one good thing, which is go try to give somebody some water. Everything mm-hmm. other than that, from the taking the money in the first place, everything about that was all wrong and all bad and could not end well. And that's why he ended up in a, Basically, what the papers would say is a nonsensical death in a hotel. You know what I'm saying? And all that adventure ended in this nonsensical hotel death. You can't get no lower than that. Motherfuckers, we have nonsensical hotel deaths. You always look down on that. Am I wrong? Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, yeah.
0: And I mean, I think that that also serves a a purpose the other way down that metaphorical street in that it makes you stop and think twice about the fact that, like, you so often hear about, you know, random killings in the drug war. And it's like, it can often turn into just background noise, like, oh, you know, people found dead in a motel in, in the middle of, mm-hmm. you know, South Texas. Like, oh, there they go again. But it shows you, like, no, those are real people with real lives. Mm-hmm. And the violence is totally senseless but it's not just a statistic. You know what I mean? And being able to like, I find that to be the real triumph of that scene is that they managed to encapsulate both things in one. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this is random and faceless and you get no satisfaction from it. But by the same token, it's incredibly impactful. And like that lack of explanation and lack of satisfaction is almost the point that like you can't numb yourself to these things that are happening. You have to... You, you know, in a lot of ways, inhabit the Tommy Lee Jones role of just it becomes so over- overwhelming, you got to bow out of it. You know, it's yeah,
1: I, I feel overmatched. <laughs> overmatched. I, I love, I love, 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 love that. I also think, um, when you look at uh, Moss's wife, dude, like oh, yeah. her death is huge. I'm talking about huge because it, it's – she has a great one because she refuses to play the game. Mm-hmm. She, she begs for her life like anybody would, but when it really comes down to it, she refuses to play his game. And the fact that you know that she's dead by how Homeboy checks his shoes as he leaves – it's just, it's just perfect cinema, perfect understated, so-called subtext, all the stuff they teach the film nerds, which they like rapidly throw away to do video game adaptations. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like uh, all of that stuff that you learn, and and uh, and we know a couple of people who apply good storytelling to video game adaptations. So even that's outdated. It's crazy though how hard it is to just use film and use somebody's death on film to kind of say all these different things. Moss's thing said what you said earlier eloquently and her death was just like, there are going to be people who are going to make you try to, are going to try to make you face up to what you actually are. Uh-huh. And you can listen to them or you can fucking kill them. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you can kill the messenger at, in the for the sake of, I'm going to keep up my ethos no matter what I I think this way. I must think this way. This is the way that I operate. And anybody that comes and tries to mess with that, they either get the boot, or maybe you can listen to them and grow. Maybe if he was, uh, maybe if he had to listen to her about like his decisions really are his own. Maybe he could have took a little second longer. Would maybe leave her alive. Thinks about it. Takes a couple extra seconds. Doesn't get hit by that car. Exactly. Doesn't break his arm. All this bad shit. This And I don't even want to talk about karma, but like that guy's that guy's karma is always going to be fucked up because he's he's pretending that he is the karma of the world. He is the luck. Of, he is the thing that brings you luck or bad luck. You know what I'm saying?
0: Well, that's the thing. It It, it reinforces that, you know, convincing yourself you're not playing the game or that you have power over the game you know mm-hmm. whatever the game is it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be life and death in in the drug game but it's like whatever your whatever you see the game is in your life you are not protected by convincing yourself that you've opted out or somehow mastered it you know mm-hmm. what i mean whether you're uh whether you're a disciple of uh, Gary V or whether you're Anton Chigurh in in that movie it's like mm-hmm. You don't don't believe the stories you tell yourself because life is always ready and waiting to show you that you're not in control.
1: Absolutely. So along those lines, you think uh the death of Samuel L. Jackson in Jurassic Park really <laughs> fucked me up for life.
0: Listen, I, yeah, <laughs> we, we have to go down. I, I mean, yes, I want to hear your thoughts. We have to go down a road of just deaths that are epic because of how they happen. And, like, the wood chipper in Fargo was another one as far as we were talking Cohen brothers, right? Like, <laughs> oh, just yes. you know, fucked up deaths.
1: But go ahead on Sam J. Oh, oh, okay. We talk about fucked up deaths. Go back to Scarface. The chainsaw seed in the, ba- oh. the bathroom, baby. Oh. <laughs> like, just imagine being, like, I hate those times when, like, people are getting murked and then, like, Tony Montana's next to get murked, so they have to have a couple guys get murked <laughs> before he does. Just, oh, man, I was... You mean a couple seconds later, I could have gotten spared too. Those type of deaths really mess with me because they show that the hero is in this peril that they, you know, um, conquer.
0: Yeah,
1: I think um, along the lines of deaths that just are just spectacular. In Kong Skull Island, this dude tries to have a Vasquez from Alien sort of just pop some grenades and let the creature take you type of you know rain of fire sort of death. And just gets smacked into a mountain and blows up ineffectually inside a mountain. It's one of the biggest memes on Twitter. I you type that. it in Kong Skull Island guy blow up or whatever. It's just so nonsensical and beautiful. And people people don't understand that it's obviously the, the filmmaker's sense of humor. That was very much, you know, humorous. But it was also like lampooning this concept of like that you can be heroic. When what you're doing is being on a dinosaur island, helping scientists fuck over monsters or whatever. Like, there's nothing heroic about any of that. You can't go out like a hero if that's what you're there for. And, you know,
0: and by the way, as long as you're saying all that, let's bring it right back to Jurassic Park and talk about the lawyer who gets eaten off the toilet by (laughs) (laughs) T-Rex. That is undoubtedly one of the most iconic deaths in all of pop culture
1: yep yep just the, the cowardly at hiding behind a lattice work of nothing you know what i'm well, saying
0: and abandoning children in the middle yes. of a life or death situation like dude listen, and did he have some documents
1: uh, oh did I, he have some documents on him or something it seemed like just this love of uh I, maybe i put i put like a briefcase in his hand every time i think of that scene he probably didn't yeah. have one but i i put some documents him like hoarding some bullshit from the world you know what I'm saying over helping kids you know
0: he was the most amoral person in that movie right like his whole attitude and he says it we're gonna make a fortune as like all the Mm -hmm. scientists are like should we be doing this like are there consequences whatever and he's like fuck no we're gonna make so much money yeah and the fact that he gets his in that sort of just iconically violent nihilistic way I think this is just so perfect
1: yeah and a uh, uh, big ups for clever girl that's a pretty oh. good death that's a pretty good death to show exactly how they hunt which is exactly what you know uh dr grant said earlier and then we see it yeah that's it's a great about, setup
0: callback i mean how about newman from seinfeld with the fucking frilled oh. dinosaur that spits venom like that movie that, is so <laughs> cool, good <deaths. laughs>
1: yeah that's crazy we stumbled upon a vein <laughs> like it's just a yeah. gold mine of great deaths but like uh, I just think Samuel L. Jackson's really impacted upon me because it was just like homegirl was a fucking like alien uh, or rather she was a fucking dinosaur dietitian. Not to diminish her work or her professorship, but that's I looked it up. That's what she was literally about. She understood what the dinosaurs ate. She was a dinosaur dietitian. Homeboy was a behaviorist, and I'm sure she had a lot of behaviorist knowledge as well. But honestly, the most important person. In that space at that time was Samuel L. Jackson's fucking character. He knew that if the power came back on, he was going to press the right buttons to put the fucking monsters back in their cages, or at least reactivate their cages. He was the most important person, and they send him out by his fucking self. To mm. and, and then when he dies, fucking homegirl is like, "I think I'll go out there." And all of a sudden, they got a bunch of weapons and resources that they weren't going to employ to help my boy. And I just, it just that that has an impact dude that has an impact on a young black kid man well Uh, in fact
0: (laughs) he also gets the off-screen death which is all the more horrible because there's the moment where his arm falls Mm -hmm. on ellie Mm -hmm. and it's like what the fuck happened to this guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) like how did his arm get stuck in the pipes right dude and and
1: like and ellie being relieved to like feel his arm that was pretty cool and then she sort of walks around with it so yeah i just felt like Damn it! I trying to find a way, and and movies kind of went overboard at future generations trying to find a way to be like, no, nah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna kill the cool black guy. We got a couple other black guys that aren't quite as cool. We're gonna kill them in the first act, but this black guy, he survives. Like, fuck I think uh, uh, fucking uh, LL Cool J survives Deep Blue Sea, right? You know what I'm saying? We kind of stopped having this sac, this sort of sacrificed black guy that was pretty cool and personable, sort of a civil rights credit to his race and then he got to get out of here to show how dangerous it is for these white folks they kind of tried to flip it you know what i'm saying but like samuel l. jackson was one of the ones that i just first noticed as like that was nonsensical dude that yeah. that guy he could have been a great force for the rest of that movie the rest of jurassic park with samuel l jackson in it get the fuck out of here that's a better movie you know Than it even is Than yeah. it even is
0: no i i, I hear you completely I also think that maybe future movies took the wrong lesson from some of those, you know, spectacular deaths, because now my mind is going to that one Jurassic world where that woman gets like (laughs) picked up by the fucking pterodactyl and then they fight over her and then she survives and then she gets dropped into the fucking Megalodon's mouth. And you're just like, why? Why are they so violent toward that poor woman?
1: Yeah, I that that was uh that's been a subject of inter talk internet talk forever. Supposedly there was something about like maybe wanting it to be memorable and then uh people have interpreted it as that's her punishment for not being more maternal. Mm. You know, like she, she and the main character, Bryce Dallas Howard, are like not maternal, but like she gets the punished for the sin of not being able to keep up with two teenage boys running around somewhere. Like what? that's a crime now yeah people are people are really this this Trad movement is getting out of control <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah as, as far uh, speaking of deaths uh, I I really think that the way your main character goes out is great but villains dying mm. the villain dying is its own sort of thing can you think of any of those where you're just like okay that villain went out and that was cool that was a good way to kill him that was you. Yes. Know,
0: So I've got one that is actually kind of a twofer because you get both the villain and the hero dying in this situation. (laughs) But if we're going to talk about a death that doesn't do the whole, Oh, make you recontextualize the movie, make you recontextualize your thoughts about life and death, but is just a good satisfying entertainment death. Look no further than the emperor and gladiator. That Uh, moment when fucking dying Russell Crowe, who's been you know sucker stabbed before he gets up there and (laughs) is bleeding out, (laughs) is able to block and then turn the knife back on him, and you're uh, you're just close on his face up to the moment when his flailing gets him impaled through the neck with that dagger. Mm -hmm. That was such a beautiful cathartic moment in the theater after sitting through that whole movie. To finally see that guy get his comeuppance because he was just like Teflon through that whole fucking movie. And like <laughs> he ruins Maximus's plans like three times. Like steps in and just fucks mm-hmm. this guy over. And finally, at the end, oh! And then I still think the death of Maximus in Gladiator is one of the greatest heroes' deaths in all of cinema. Like,
1: yeah, the fucking hand on the wheat—you just oh, can't beat it. Here you literally can't beat that
0: and from the mythic standpoint of like you know he wins against this guy who killed his family and also corrupted all of rome and his last act before he drops dead is to declare rome free again right he makes rome a republic again as opposed to an author an autocratic state under the emperor and like those are his last words before he goes to you know, Valhalla or Elysium to be reunited with his family. Like it's just epic storytelling.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. Um, let me see uh, the death of John Lithgow and um, cliffhanger.
0: Cliffhanger. And the <laughs> <laughs> God, <John> while, <laughs> while you're bullshitting, though, um, Hans Gruber dying by falling from a great height.
1: I mean, yeah, that dude and the gold watch. From 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 McLean's wife's uh, corporate slavery <laughs> is what is what he was holding on to, and then her letting that go to go, I guess, move back to Jersey and just be his brood mare. That's supposed to be the message. <laughs> That's supposed to be the, the happy ending. Anyway, her corporate shackles are are released as the watch is is, is 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 unclasped, and yeah, homeboy falls back towards a beautiful green screen representation of the ground, <laughs> and the look the look on his face. Uh supposedly uh uh he he really was surprised on that take, and that's why it's so it's it's so well acted, even though it is, you know, Alan Rickman. Uh I love Die Hard. Everything about Die Hard is fucking fresh. I do love the death of the guy who's like uh just talking a bunch of shit to John McClane, kind of shooting around and trying to get him, and then John McClain loads his unloads his gun. Uh, up through the table into the guy's like knees and nuts yeah. just, you know it tells him next time you got to kill somebody shut the fuck up or whatever i i love that type of shit like i love when people get the like i don't know about the stick around type of death from uh from you know predator but obviously to me predator went out pretty g mm-hmm. i kind of had never seen that concept before where it's like oh if i don't win then fuck it nobody wins right that shit right there blew my wittle mind when i saw that movie
0: yeah no i mean as far as villain deaths go when you think of those great 80s movie monsters none of them got as satisfying an end as the predator and it's it a little bit mm-hmm. tony montana right like the yeah. Predator goes out like tony montana like <laughs> i'm not gonna I'm not going how you want me to go. I'm going out fucking <laughs> kicking and screaming.
1: Yeah, say hello to my Fitbit. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking blow up on your ass, like, you know. I I love I and I gotta say, man, the the deaths of homeboys compadres, the fact that like in any movie where there is a slashing element, i.e., people being picked off by a, a singular night force of mm-hmm. whatever stripe, I think. Predator was one of the greatest of all time. You know, he was part Michael Myers, part part magic, part mysticism of the of the the real people of the world who knew about. In the hot months, the men would go away and blah blah. The real people of the world kind of know about this thing, but these soldiers, these hardcore soldiers who are like prone to get killed by this thing, they know nothing of it because you know what I'm saying. They're not real people of the forest. They come in there to do their business. But they're not the real people of the forest. And the one guy who adopted the real people of the forest ethos from the mud to the fucking shooting arrows and all that kind of shit, the one guy who adopted all of that made it out of that milieu. By adopting a more primitive ethos, he was able to defeat the technology. It was only when he threw down his arms that he really had the arms he needed to defeat the the, the evil.
0: It's the, it's the you arms know. he needed were those two pythons attached <laughs> to his body.
1: <laughs> hey man, you can't make a bow and arrow without muscles. Went. So yeah, I, I love the, the fact that the Predators, as he was killing everybody, everybody's death was emblematic of the type of person they were. From Billy kind of just challenging it to a man on man fight to, you know, um uh Bill Duke's character being like, I- I'm gonna fucking chase this guy. I'm gonna hunt him. And you're you're not though, mm. you're not you're not good enough. And just because Carl Weathers wanted uh, wanted to fucking make up for the fact that he's a CAA punk, just because you guys tag team up and have all this this fire in your belly, doesn't mean shit. Because this mm. motherfucker is from outer space. Yeah. Like <laughs> their death, their ineffectuality against it, it wasn't boring. There was nothing boring about them being ineffectual against this force. It was always interesting.
0: It, you yeah, know what I'm it, saying? That was a feat. It's so far away from like your, your standard Friday, the 13th type movie, or even Halloween where it's like, all right, you've got a couple sacrificial, you know, idiots essentially that just need to die. So that everybody feels scared mm-hmm. in predator. It's like, that's a whole different ball game because the best got, of the best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a great formula. So as we're talking greatest deaths, I want us to get into comics a little bit. And of course, Comic book deaths are um, hard to love because they're so often <laughs> followed by convoluted stories of people taking up the mantle and resurrecting the hero, and like nobody stays dead. And then the ones that are like the iconic origin deaths are kind of like you're just sick of seeing it. So it's like, yeah, you know, Uncle Ben and the Waynes and whoever were like important to those characters, no doubt, but mm-hmm. it's also like, I'm not going to put their deaths up as the greatest, but one I do want to give honorable mention to in Grant Morrison's JLA from the 90s. He wrote this storyline called Rock of Ages, and it, it deals with at the, the heroes kind of fighting the forces of Dark Side across time. Um, it involves a, a MacGuffin called the Wurlagog, which is like a scale model of the universe. And if you possess it, it's like you have the ability to alter reality. And for an issue, you find yourself in a dystopian future where Darkseid has conquered Earth and killed every powerful hero. And the only couple heroes that are left to oppose him are like Green Arrow and the Atom, and a few other like B League Justice Leaguers. But first of all, this issue is written from the point of view of death, which you don't find out until the very end of the story, because the whole issue is just chock full of here. Like, I wanna say Wonder Woman's not the first to die, but like, it, there's just characters dying page after page. And you spend the whole issue going like, Whose voice is this narration being written in? Because it's this very loquacious, kind of poetic consideration of all these people as they die. And in the end, um, they're not able to stop Darkseid from essentially destroying all reality. But they get in one last shot where Green Arrow shoots the, the microscopic atom who is able to jump off of his arrow through the pupil of Darkseid's eye, because if he can see light must be able to enter and he goes in and essentially destroys his brain from the inside. And that is at the moment where the universe collapses and the black racer is revealed. Who's the new God of death. And you realize he has been narrating this entire issue and it ends with him saying, um, and it is in this last moment, as the last light flickers from Darkseid's eye, that he realizes in the game of gods, there can only be one victor. And it goes unsaid, but that victor is death. And I just, to, I mean, it's, it's one of the great comic issues ever written, certainly great Justice League issues ever written. And I just love that poetic treatment. It's almost Neil Gaiman in its, in its, um perceptiveness that like even gods must die and to say like you've attained ultimate cosmic power but the only winner in the end is death is just it's so chilling but also so awesome.
1: Dude, I perfectly stated, perfectly recapped. That shit is great. And it reminds me of the fact that like when I was a kid the Norse myths, obviously, oh, as I've stated yeah. on this thing, as I've stated on this podcast many times before, as a kid, you know, they weren't exactly trying to teach you the African myth, except for some of the fucking Anansi shit. So it was it was pretty barren. You know, there was always some kid whose parents were were uh, what people pejoratively call woke these days uh, who had like fucking onks and shit in their house. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And they were just like, yeah, really about, you know, Egyptology and shit they would maybe do some of that shit. But for the most part, it was Greek mythology or fucking Norse mythology and way less Norse mythology, really Greek mythology. Everybody knew all the guys. Norse mythology was just so much hardcore, more hardcore to me because like their gods died. There was a whole big story about how their gods died. They, they like Loki, Loki knew that they were going to die. You know what I'm saying? there was just something almost fatalistic to the, the brazenness, which even with which even their gods lived, their mm-hmm. gods live these hyper-graduated lives, even more so than, like, Greek gods seem to be really capricious and be fucking with people all the time. The fucking Norse gods went on, like, their own adventures and got into, like, trouble and shit. That was a key difference to me. They, You know what right. I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, Thor having to lift the Midgard serpent, you know, and, and fucking drink uh, the sea and all this kind of shit. Yeah, they uh, weren't just
0: obsessed with, like, how are, what are we going to, what are we going to do to toy around with humanity, which is essentially right. like every Greek myth.
1: Right. And I wasn't one of, uh, in that story where he has to drink the sea and, and lift up the Midgard serpent because they're basically, uh, some guys are being like, Hey, can you lift this up? Can you drink from this cup? And he's basically like drinking, doing these Herculean uh, uh, feats while mm-hmm. he's doing this. He's being tricked into Herculean feats because they think they're going to defeat him this way. And then it's to like wrestle an old lady and she's beating him, And like the old lady is like death. So it's like nobody ever beats death. Nobody can ever beat the weight of age. So she's like either death or the weight of aging or some shit like that. Something inexorable and undefeatable. And he's wrestled her hella much. And they're like, God damn, this dude is wrestling off death. You know what I mean? So like that sort of storytelling made the Norse myths way cooler to me. And it was the presence of death, the ability of these gods to die.
0: I mean, that, you know, not for nothing makes me think of one of our favorite recent movies, The Northman. And that has a gladiator-esque ending where both the hero and the villain sort of die in battle. And just for like sheer, brutal, beautiful visuals, those those are some amazing deaths as they have like a brutal hand-to-hand combat in the caldera of a volcano. It's that, That's some amazing stuff.
1: Dude, it's beautiful and haunting, and I love that it's like, look, really nihilistic as well.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Although there is I mean, there is some hope because, you know, his his wife survives with his child. And there's, you know, some there's some hope there, uh, which I I appreciate in, in something that could that is overwhelmingly dark at times they're even able to rest some hope from, from that situation.
1: Oh, and speaking of great comic book deaths and how they never last, <laughs> we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Jean gray and what Jean gray's death so, 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 have meant to the X-Men. Like, I think the first one maybe was the most powerful one. Yeah. And I have since read the story that they were originally going to um, publish. And I just, I just thought, that would be a really great move if they did that and stuck to it and they stuck to it as long and as good as like a, perhaps Gwen Stacy death, you know, mm-hmm. that could have been really great for the X-Men to have their own real Gwen Stacy. Yeah. But because it didn't, and because the Madeline Pryor and then the gene coming back and stuff, they never really got to, they never really got to mourn the
0: bitch is what I'm saying. Well, and you know, it's crazy. It it feels like Grant Morrison almost, tried to do a mulligan when he did his new X-Men run because famously Jean Gray dies again in that run. And the whole thing is sort of coming on the heels of her and Scott drifting apart for very sort of diegetic reasons, like very good reasons in story and Scott sort of moving on with Emma Frost. And then Joss Whedon picked that up and really ran with that dynamic in his astonishing X-Men run and it was very much about the X-Men sort of, try, and especially Scott, you know, Cyclops, trying to get past Gene's death in the way that you maybe would have liked to have seen originally. But mm-hmm. by then, it both felt too little too late, and they retconned that shit again. So it's like you couldn't let them live with within that reality. And it's, yeah, it just, it kind of sucks.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's why it gets such mention, because as legendary as it is, They didn't let it settle. You know what I'm saying? You got to let the, you got to let the pudding set up before you start digging your spoons
0: in. (laughs) Listen, I mean, as far as high profile comic book deaths that aren't given the time to settle, nothing will ever beat the death of Superman. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like I, and you know, it's, it's well covered by this time, but as long as we're doing dishonorable mentions, not only was the death itself underwhelming, like Superman and a monster you've never seen before, just, beat each other to death and destroy, you know, part of Metropolis as they do it. And it's like, that's pretty underwhelming. But the fact that it became such a cultural sensation and famously, you know, it was like a slow news week. So every major news organization picked up the news that Superman had died and it became this big thing that like the greater American culture was trying to grapple with but from the beginning it was only ever meant as like a sales tactic and they had the whole return of Superman ready to go before they even pulled the trigger on the death. And so it was never even intended to be something that had like a lasting repercussion. And I think ironically out of all that, it gave us a bunch of characters that are still extant in the comics. Like, all four of those replacement Supermen are still around, the evil Cyborg Superman, the Eradicator, which has like this whole convoluted history to Krypton, that cloned Superboy who has since, mm-hmm. you know, shown up in both Titans on TV and like Young Justice the cartoon, and then of course Steel who now is getting an even bigger push in the main Superman comics. Like for a story that was ostensibly about death, the fact that we got so many lasting characters out of the death story, and the death itself is sort of the afterthought. I think is just pretty funny to me,
1: dude. Oh my god! Off the top of my head, I'm thinking death of Batman is exactly how I'm going to fucking uh like pitch those fools on my my famous on this podcast. Because Sandra Kane is the last man standing story. Mm-hmm. Batman dies. It's like mm-hmm. that's the, that's the whole point of it. It's just like the death of Superman, you could launch these characters out of it. You could the revive Cassandra Kane, fucking Barbara Gordon in a mech suit, whatever the fuck. <laughs> you, know what I'm uh-huh. uh, you know, so that put that kid Duke, says he's got light powers, put him in like the uh, the dark dimension or something. I don't know, whatever. I <laughs> I do hate almost every fucking other Bat character besides Batgirl. So maybe they, I'd, I'd have to go hands off on that one. Just like make Batgirl the linchpin and build what you would logically with your dumb logic think of yeah. the people that would be cool around her as f- or to counterbalance her stoic nature as the new Batman, who you think would be like could complement her thing that's what i'd probably tell editorial if i was like the big cheese like dan to Dio, and i could just make stupid swathing statements like that <laughs> that's what that's what i would do i would i would do that yeah. i would you would find your hierarchy of where where nightwing is is nightwing a legacy character did dick gracie die, dick, dick grayson die and there's a new nightwing even it's like oh what the fuck
0: you know Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that you have to make the death reverberate and it's like this huge status quo change for all these other ancillary characters is where comic book deaths get messy, especially when you never intend for the death to stick anyway. And like you see that with everything from like Captain America dying in Civil War all the way up to when they actually did like kind of kill Batman coming out of Final Crisis Yeah, really dead. He's lost in time. But then they do the whole battle for the cowl where like all the Bat family members are trying to take up his legacy. And it's like that shit is so overwrought, you know? Well, yeah,
1: because they think it's like I think they never make it deadly enough. I'm talking about like they're all dead. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And somebody has to be Batman. And like being Batman is like the most dangerous job. In the whole world now, like Mm -hmm. due to political circumstances or whatever the fuck being Batman is the most deadly thing, you know? Oh, and speaking of uh, Batman dying, you uh, we talked about it briefly earlier uh, off air, but like the Dark Knight returns Batman's death in there, death in quote marks quote
0: unquote death. Yeah,
1: that is I think the people who did the death of Superman thought that they could do something cool like that. Right. You know what I'm saying? And regular continuity. And they just spun it out of control.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that to me is an all time comic book death, even though it's not really a death, because it gives you all the beats you want. And then there's that surprise at the end. Well, because he's Batman, you know, even his death was a meticulously executed plan that nobody picked up on. Even Superman until the very last moment and like it was just it was such a satisfying way to end that story i it's hard to top that
1: yeah and the fact that um he just he's a human so he he mistimed it just a tiny bit sure you know and Uh. superman was able to to see it but like appreciate the effort and be cool about it because he really is a good guy in the end even though he's a fucking sock puppet for anybody in power ever That's his fucking problem, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, not iteration of him, at least it was like a a new start and a new way to fight crime as an actual symbol. I mean, people have picked up that and tried to run with it in all different directions, even Matt Reeves a little bit, Mm. Batman and the Bat organization. To a certain extent, like uh, Grant Morrison's Batman Incorporated type stuff, yeah, they're trying to hint at Batman being a symbol to like inspire other people rather than like this fear
0: thing. It's like that—that's that's a section of the Bat Mythos now. But I think I think what makes it so affecting is that it is a death, in so much as it's like he's put Batman to rest. You know what yes, I mean? Like the yes. idea of what Batman is and how Batman operates and what Batman does to the city is all gone for him. And now it's about, I have to find a new way to, to accomplish these goals that I have. Um, Yeah. And that really is such a, it's one of those complicated, it's both hopeful, but open-ended and not entirely satisfying, but satisfying enough. And then the fact that they lampshade that by him saying, this will be a good life, at least good enough. Like, it's it's kind of sad that they have since returned to that Dark Knight Returns world to do sequels because that was such a a perfect capstone in that Batman died almost physically but certainly ideologically. Um, that to me, like that's the only way Batman's story can end. Like you don't want to see him in the grave for real. You you want to see him escape death, even as Batman as an idea kind of dies so that it can be reborn
1: dude and uh i love all of that i love that point i also love the fact that batman is like he's he's bowing to the fact that he has to get new methods and all that Mm. but it's also killing the zealotry there was some sort of zealotry that was happening with his inspiration of the kids before because of the symbolism it's almost like the symbolism had had Come back to bite him, and making these people like I am the face of the bat. I chop off robbers' fingers and shit. He didn't want that. He wanted an organized force to help him and be down with him, but he didn't want that. Right. And it was it was the fear of the bat thing, the whole thing, the motif that he had to like dismantle. And I just think it's so funny that for every one of these Twitter fingers takes of Frank Miller made Batman a fascist, he also acknowledged that that was the fucking case also made a case against the zealotry of that and at the end left him in a status quo that was the fucking future the liberals want at the end that's what the end
0: of dark Knight returns is agreed i mean essentially the end of dark Knight returns would be like if donald trump in 2019 meticulously arranged to fake his own death just because he felt like I don't like what's going on in this country. Like all of this, you know, all of this transphobia and racism and sexism and general assholery that I've inspired in everybody is not the path that we want to go down. So I don't want to actually kill myself, but I need to at least die metaphorically. So all these assholes can stop rallying around my worst impulses. Mm -hmm. Like that was the dark Knight returns ending.
1: Yeah. And I, I just think that was that was so interesting that it has many, like, false deaths. His mm. first retirement was a false death. Uh, Jason's death was a death in that story, but turned out to be a false death mm-hmm. in later stories. You know what I'm saying? Like, there, the, the death of the superheroic ideal seemed to have died in that story. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of, uh, you know, uh, I think we were going to talk about Watchmen, right? There are some deaths in Watchmen, yeah. uh just real quick i just want to talk about the death of john osterman that mm-hmm. kickstarts the the whole him being obsessed with watches and being a little late to get out of the fucking hadron collider or whatever the fuck atomic disassembler or whatever he was working on right. there's a magic symmetry to that and that is a brilliant death and the fact that that gives him that new weird cosmic life it's really sick
0: yeah i mean Look, there's not enough we could say about Watchmen, but at the same time, what are we going to say that hasn't already been said? But I will just echo your sentiment that there is such poetry to my entire life. My father wanted me to be a watchmaker and time is the thing that ultimately both kills him and then remakes him and becomes the thing which sort of divorces him from human experience it's yes, his experience time. of time. Yeah. yeah, his
1: different experience of time disassociates him from us. Yes. Beautiful. And but yeah, like and just uh, I think you were talking about Rorschach. I think yeah. Rorschach really, <laughs> as a character, misunderstood. And you you had a couple good points about that.
0: I can talk about Rorschach for a long time, and I think that the Zack Snyder movie should get a lot of the blame for turning public opinion on Rorschach. I know there's always been comic book edgelords that have sort of lionized like, oh yeah, he's he's so committed to his principles that he's fucking willing to die for them in the end. And it's like, oh, that's what you're cheering? Like, that's what you're taking away from the book? Like, that's pretty (laughs) fucked up. (laughs) And then to make a movie where like, that is the subtext of the scene just really grinds my gears. But in the original book, the whole idea... Was that Rorschach realized that his morality didn't work. And so he kind of, you know, famously commits suicide by cop in a way where he threatens to expose the whole plot and sort of gives them no choice but to kill him in the end, down to the point where he's asking Dr. Manhattan to kill him. But I've always read that, and I think Moore intended that to be a moment where Rorschach realized that what Veidt did was going to work. And the fact that someone could bring about world peace by doing this large scale, horrible thing was such a complete refutation of his black and white, good and evil viewpoint of the world Mm. that he could no longer live in that world. I mean, it, it's a little bit to go back to our, an early part of this conversation, Tommy Lee Jones in No Country for Old Men. Like, I feel overmatched. That is Rorschach's death in Watchmen, is like, I cannot mm. handle being in a world where this works. My world is about people know what bad is and punish bad, and invites victory suddenly Rorschach has to confront the the fact that he was wrong all those years that he had subscribed to that black and white mentality of, I know what bad is and bad begets bad and I need to cut it out like a cancer. Suddenly, nah, bro, you were wrong. And that's why he's crying when he rips his mask off, not because he's so committed to his ideals that he's, you know, crying with righteous fury at how, you know, wrong everybody is. No, it's his recognition. I'm the fucked up one. Like, I never knew right from wrong. I never could see the world as clearly as I convinced myself I could. Mm-hmm. And I I can no longer even stand to live in this world because of that. And that's what his death means.
1: Yeah, it's almost like... Uh, the the people who can't stand the new world that is being made and how fucking it. And ironically, he sends his, his journal about all the goings on his meticulous um, transcription of all the events. He sends that to a right wing fringe magazine and they right. may or into their slush pile and they may or may not publish it, which yeah. kind of shows what Alan Moore kind of thought about, his whole missive or whatever. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Not just that they would go to that, but like, those are the type of people who would want to hear that this new utopia was somehow
0: wrong. But keep in mind when he did that, he was expecting he might die, but he also thought that he was uncovering a plan to end the world. Like he yeah. thought he was uncovering a plot by Vite to, to instigate world war three which would have fit his worldview completely correct. Like bad man does bad things to cause bad outcome. And mm-hmm. so me being good guy, I go to stop that and right, I may right. fail, but somebody needs to stop it. Even if I fail, yeah. but, the, but he, it, it gets t- totally turned around on him. Like Veidt wasn't doing all the bad shit to start world war three. Veidt was doing all the bad shit to create lasting world peace. And like, suddenly in that moment, Rorschach is undone. And so that is almost a coup de grace on the point that I was just making in that, holy shit, he sent his journal and sending his journal is not going to save the world like he thought it was. Sending his journal might be the thing that causes World War Three.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know? absolutely. So yeah, the la- the last his last dying thing might undo everything exactly and it, and he thought he was the savior but he might be the, yeah dude that stuff i mean and that's a far cry from some of the deaths that i was thinking of earlier when we were talking about comic book dudes because honestly when wolverine gets destroyed as fuck by that sentinel and there is a future past yeah it just really stuck with me when i was a little kid i was i read you know the mark silvestri you know i'm old enough to have like picked up at the new stand all oh, with my page boy hat on um i i had been picking up mark silvestri issues of x-men so maybe 88 as a little kid picking them up and man when they introduced uh, when i went back and looked at back issues and i found out about the days of future past I went nuts. I was like, wow, that shit's crazy. And then Wolverine jumps into action with his Reed Richard's hair. Like, Oh, what's he about to do?
0: And he just gets blasted to <laughs> shit. Yeah. He's dead. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, again, that's, that's one of those great things that you can do with, you know, possible future stories where you are writing definitive endings for these characters. Mm-hmm. Like that's taken full advantage because again, sort of the hopelessness of it, yeah the, the anti-heroic nature of how that went down is just so yes. perfect. One of my favorite kind of meaningless deaths, but I don't think it's meaningless in the way that you're intending meaningless to, to be, is actually how the Fast and the Furious franchise handled Paul Walker's death, where like he died, but they didn't want to give him an in-story death, and so they've sort of resigned him to the limbo of fatherhood where like, <laughs> I I'm sh- I know it's not intentional, but just because of the way they handled it, it's like, well, fatherhood becomes a spiritual death where you're no longer involved in the family that everybody's always talking about. And you can no longer have adventures. It's like you have the soul death by deciding to become a father. <laughs> and it's all, j- it all just comes from the fact that, You know, I guess out of respect, they didn't want to give his character an in-universe death. But, like, avoiding that almost makes his real-life death feel worse in the story. Because now it's like every subsequent movie, they have to pay lip service to the idea that he's still out there somewhere. But he's just this spectral presence that they never see and is never able to have fun with them. I don't know, man. Like, that that to me is one of the most ignoble pop culture deaths because of just how poorly it was handled.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, but you've, you've had one of your friends get married and started having kids, man. It's like they get sucked into heaven. They're, they're, they're away and maybe they'll call you and tell you they're in hell. But, but I'm telling you as far as what it seems like, it seems, it's like when your friends get famous where your friends get married, super married up outside of your friend group or famous. It's almost like they get raptured up into heaven. Like they just disappear. It seems like the shit doesn't work anymore. And it just it's like a metaphor for that. But it is funny that these dudes are like literally saving the world. And Brian is like, oh, I'm at a little league game, or so like you guys are saving the known universe, flying cars in outer space. I can't get in on that. I gotta go to the, the, the kid that smacks
0: somebody in the face. And you like, know, they're calling him a bully. <laughs> all of these past movies have been the villain has been so fucking personal to Vin Diesel, and it's not just like I gotta save the world, it's like no. I'm coming for you and I'm coming mm-hmm. for your whole family. And like to the point where Brian's wife will show up and like kick some ass and be involved, but fucking Brian, Brian's watching the kid. He's just, he's just forever watching the kids. <laughs> <and> everybody else <laughs> hangs out. Uh, like he can't even show up to the fucking barbecues at the end of the movie. And we know why, but like yeah. somehow in the logic of the movie, you just have to accept it. And like, I don't know. I just think that kind of sucks. It just kind well, of
1: sucks. Sometimes your family makes you not be able to hang out with your family. Like you said, you know what yeah. I mean? Like you, you, when you have a real family. It takes away from your fake heist family. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it is what it is. I also think though, that as far as death, that people had to work around the way that everybody dies in the crow. I'm not even talk. we're not oh. going to talk at length about the Brandon Lee thing. He did die. They had to work around it to complete the film the movies about death, a whole bunch, the death of Eric Draven is like iconic, you know, and he comes back, you know, from, from that death, if that death wasn't so fucked up. It'd be less iconic how he comes back and pursues his revenge. A lot of the deaths that are in that thing from like taping a guy more or less to the steering wheel is shooting him off a pier, and blowing his car up. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of cool deaths in there. And I just wanted to bring up that as like death as the motif and I remember reading, um, like, uh, like death takes a holiday and all that Neil Gaiman shit. That yeah. de- death, death on parole, death goes to fucking camp. All that <laughs> shit he wrote about death. Do t- death, the all high the cost of living
0: movies with death. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah the de- death, the high cost of living. All that yeah. stuff. I read all that stuff and seeing death as a character who like features in people's lives, even if she's not gonna like kill them or she kill somebody they didn't know or you know, just there's something about how we've seen death represented and so all i'm saying is when i see characters die sometimes i will flash to be like oh what kind of death grabbed them mm. like what kind of death what what kind of death is grabbing up the guys that john wick kills is it just like like a train going
0: like a, like a bullet train to Tokyo? Just fills up with souls. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. What I'm <laughs> well, like you know what that makes me think of is the uh, the ghost policeman from the third issue of Planetary, where it's yes. like the Hong Kong issue. yeah, it's like a rip on the Spectre, but he's like he's like a a Hong Kong kung fu police guy, and he's he's capping uh, criminals in the streets of Hong Kong. That's yeah. the that's the version of death that comes after all those John Wick guys.
1: Dude, so they get killed by that in life, and then they get killed by it
0: in, in death? Uh, hey, they, I mean, they're not having a pretty afterlife after being thugs their whole life, you know?
1: Dude, oh, speaking of greatest deaths, the way that fool goes out and ghosts the main mm. bad guy who's betraying patrick swayze's character he gets dragged to hell by the little gremlins and shit uh, yeah. i mean it it looks a little smurfy but there's something cool about it the way the shadows are formless and like the demons are made more by your mind than the special effects crew you know what i'm saying there's just something interesting about that version of death from the flying up into the sky to the limbo that you're trapped in and you have to learn how to Influence physical objects as a ghost. You have to learn from ghost sensei's on trains how to fucking go about the world if you're going to be a ghost and be of any utility to your Mm. loved ones that are still alive, so on and so forth. To, you know, jumping into people. I just think that, like, his death as a senseless street act, and then you find out it was a conspiracy, and then he ends up contributing to the deaths of, like, that robber dude who was going to kill Demi Moore and his best friend who put the guy up to it. Yeah. I just think those were really like, for a movie of that, you know, rating
0: and style, those are pretty great deaths. You know? There's something that movies can do with death. And I think you kind of hinted at it there with what you were talking about, where it's not so much about like plot or meaning. And it's not so much about like, you know, the cleverness or the goriness or like, oh, I've never seen that before. But like movies can really make you feel death in an uncomfortable way. And I remember as a kid that that guy's death and ghost as like the shadow hands just come and creep him creeping up and sort of drag him to hell. Mm -hmm. And the other one from my childhood that really had that fucking effect on me of like, oh, God, this just makes me uncomfortable in some way was fucking Murphy in RoboCop.
1: Oh, yes. I think I had that and lost it earlier. Thank you for
0: bringing it back, brother. Dude when fucking Clarence Boddicker Red Foreman is just gleefully (laughs) taking him apart with a shotgun and like, they're showing it and like the juxtaposition of like how traumatized and in pain Peter Weller's performance sells with how unbothered all these assholes are like, that is just disturbing to watch. And like, that's the thing that you won't get out of comics or, or, you know certainly television most of the time but like there are just certain movies that hit you in the gut with the portrayal of death
1: well dude speaking of which the first two hours of saving private ryan oof are about depicting death and like this simultaneously um unsympathetic and i've used the word nihilist a couple times towards coen brothers things and certain other deaths but like the first three rows of guys jumping out of the boat, just getting mowed down, and you're just lucky you're not them, uh. it's pretty fucking nihilistic, pretty much acknowledging the sacrifice those guys made. You know what I'm saying? It, that, where it's just like, yeah, the way we were deploying fools back then wasn't really, you know, it was kind of Starship Troopers esque, yeah. <laughs> and, and like if you were one of those Wisniewskis or Rakowskis, you might get your ass blasted <laughs> about this motherfucker. Just, and it's no fault of your own. There's no, there's no whether you're a hero or not. You could be Audie Murphy if you win that first three rows. You're getting laced up like a goddamn Jordan. You uh, know what I mean? Uh-huh. And it just is what it fucking is. So that shit was really affected, the guy walking around looking for his arm, but the most affecting death out of all that, people got blown up, people got sticky bombed, people bombed themselves trying to put sticky bombs on tanks, which I loved. Mm-hmm. People tried to do all this shit, but when Uppam, I think his name was, the like kind of coward guy, uh, there's a coward guy who didn't help his buddy, the buddy who gets killed, the, I guess he's a Jewish cat, who gets stabbed by the Nazis. And the yeah. Nazis stabbing him and just telling them to be quiet and let it happen and it's all good. Don't worry about it. you can rest. Oof. Dude, I'll never, ever forget that shit, dude. Yeah. ever. yeah, it's one of the greatest on-screen deaths ever because it's like just the sureness with which the German was killing that dude. like the just I'm reading the world of of fucking vermin. I'm snapping a chicken's neck. you know this isn't this isn't murder on any level this is simply expediency it went even beyond a soldier respectfully killing another soldier it right. went way beyond that to the extermination angle which is what the whole thing was about it was just and upam not helping like you know what i'm saying like just like looking at that shit happen and just like it reminds us of, of, like how we are so afeared of death yeah. That in real life will like let people there was a couple of Twitter stories. I'm not going to go into it, but a couple of news stories rather about people just sort of standing by. We talked about Rushak, that 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 great uh, apocryphal murder of that lady where basically mm. supposedly everybody just kind of watched her get stabbed and and just, hey, I'll I'll call I'll call the cops after 15 minutes of continuous stabbing. I think that makes sense mm-hmm. or I'll just shut my window, at, you know, response to crime. And there's some shit going on these days where people like literally video crimes, like straight up assaults, you mm. know, stabbings, murders, people get hit in the head with big rocks and shit. And we're just so scared of death that we'll like not help somebody avoid death. Mm. You know what I'm saying? We're like so scared of it ourselves that we we convince ourselves that not getting involved is smarter and all this like this basic stuff that I feel like maybe has been in our DNA forever. I'm not saying we were always jumping in like superheroes. I don't think as a species we're that brave, but I'm just saying it's like we have a capacity now to record ourselves being cowards in a way that I never saw before. <laughs> well, we've also,
0: I mean, we've also spectacularized death, right? Like we've turned death into a spectacle. Yes. And I think because we we collectively have such a hard time dealing with it. And I think actually you bring up Saving Private Ryan and specifically that moment is a great, context because it's so unlike the type of death you normally see in movies Mm -hmm. and it's so chilling for that reason Mm -hmm. it almost speaks to why we have to turn death into a cool thing or a funny thing or a badass thing Mm -hmm. because it's like we don't want to deal with what is the reality of just looking into someone's eyes as the life fucking drains out of them but then There's a weird feedback loop where when you turn death into entertainment because you don't want to deal with the reality of death, then suddenly the reality of death to a certain extent becomes entertainment. And so it becomes something that maybe you're more, I don't know, I feel like being able to just sit and watch death is a very peculiar trait. Like it is neither fight nor flight. Right. Which is like huh. the, the instinctual response to, Oh shit. Somebody is dying. The, I, the idea of just watching is feels unnatural, you know? Well,
1: Oh dude. Well, oh man. Trust us to get metaphorical, especially about death, mm. but bro. Okay. As a fucking animal, you notice things get killed when you kill them. Mm -hmm. and when you narrowly escape getting killed because your homie got killed Mm -hmm. those are the times you see death you may see carrion you may see dead bodies but those are the times you see actual death right but us as a species we've made all these devices and screens and shit that we can see death over and over again to the point where i'm not even going to make the desensitized point i'm making the fuck you being desensitized to it it's fucking up our natural, like you said, fight or flight mechanisms. That's how we've seen yeah. so much death. Yeah, that's that. That is great. I mean, that's a great point. That's chilling me to it's, my fucking very core because we well, on right. <laughs> these lemmings who probably run toward death. That's why we we have videos of people literally dying because they choose to tape the train coming at them rather than getting out of the fucking way. It's like this confluence of like it's worse than a dumbing, right? It's an it's 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 a it's a, it's a, it's a installed insanity protocols in (laughs) in regards to uh death right because like we should be able to you know use our intuition use our soul and shit or use whatever that ephemeral uh what's that proprioception you talk about Mm -hmm. we should be able to use that to avoid the murderers in our neighborhoods the the killers amongst us things of this nature but we're watching a murder documentary with this guy with these Dahmer glasses. And next thing you know, we're in a goddamn freezer because we're so
0: inured to death that we can't see it when it's in our fucking face. Yeah, man, I that to me. So maybe this is a good way to round out this conversation, because murder documentaries is almost the more innocuous version. But the real line of demarcation for me where I started going, man, this is so fucked up. Was in those wild west early days of YouTube when you were seeing terrorist beheadings on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And to this day, I have never watched, never wanted to watch, never made any gesture to watch one of those videos because I'm like, I don't, why would I want to watch a real person get brutally murdered? Mm-hmm. And the fact that those went viral and like enough people were able to just, I guess, for the, spectacle for the experience for the the thrill whatever we're able to do that like that's where i really started going what the fuck like Mm -hmm. that is so that i think just speaks to this idea that like culture has turned death into something unnatural and i think that might be unavoidable in a lot of ways but like you Mm -hmm. said in in the animal kingdom it's fight or flight but mm-hmm. in the human kingdom it's a much different beast Dude, like- fight
1: flight be a karen record it do some combination of all those things uh call the cops uh <laughs> again, you know call yeah. your buddies to come have a public fight that you record rather than calling the cops you know what I'm saying? There's like what well, that's six things in nature. There's two things in right. in life in society. There's six things, six seven things you can do when confronted with anything
0: deadly. And I think I mean maybe on a little bit more of a hopeful note. I mean, part of the reason for that might be our the fact that we have self awareness because it's been proven with animals. You know, animals go through this whole sort of physiological anti-trauma mechanism so like a gazelle when it narrowly escapes a cheetah it will get to the safe distance and the, the herd will stop and like gazelles will literally go through like a period of intense shaking where it's like on one level it's their body trying to get rid of the the hormones that are racing that the endorphins that are like allowing them to flee without regard to like you know, they're breathing or whatever the fuck else, but there's also a, a neurological reset that happens where like they have to shake the experience of almost dying. And then as far as we can tell, most animals are able to then just get on with their lives without thinking about death because the concept of death is a higher level thought. And so the fact that we are self-aware and are capable of higher level thought means that we kind of have to live with the reality of death day in, day out, even when it's not stalking us from the nearest tree. And that is something that's very unique in nature. And I think in a lot of ways, we still haven't figured out how to do that, how to deal with our own mortality. And so Yes, it is fucked up to turn death into spectacle, but it, it's just one more way that we're fumbling with like what it means to be self-aware in the universe.
1: Well, and, and as a caper to that beautiful eloquence, I will say, I think what we th- the point of us doing all these stories is to give our lives meaning because we know they're going to end. Mm. So if they're going to end, they have to, quote unquote, have to mean something. And the, with the gift of storytelling, we can explore like, what did your life really mean if you signed your life away to being a mafia assassin who didn't even really get rich and get hoes? You know what I am saying? Like, how the mm. fuck you got to how the fuck you gonna go back to your wife like some kind of steel mill worker every day for sixty <laughs> years and you are capping fools in the head? You don't even get, you don't even get the Ace Rothstein pink suit, you know, blowjob from Sharon Stone on Coke. You don't get. You don't get the, you know, the same amount of blueberries in your muffin because you're the boss. You're just some asshole who puts mm-hmm. like nipples on the ends of his gun as primitive silencers in the 20s or whatever the fuck. You're just some loser. Not the 20s, but you know what I'm saying? You're, yeah. you just, you're just some schmuck who keeps the killing machine g- rolling. You're a foot soldier in the game. That A movie, uh, talk about the Irishman, a movie that looks at How the gangster life isn't always glamorous. And that's a way of looking at your decision, looking at all the people who died in Goodfellas, the people who survived in Goodfellas, maybe live worse lives than the people who died. Mm. You know what I'm saying? The the prison of you know eating ketchup on your noodles, Mm. uh, you know, for the rest of your life until you get a podcast. I think Henry Hill's got a podcast now. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He's like, ah, I can finally get on the mic and talk about all these times I got pinched. It's like, okay, buddy, I think that might be over. I think Scorsese did it better than you can. No, there's a bunch
0: of tales. I got it in this. (laughs) Print on demand book about gangster life, dude. The uh, the entire <laughs> the entire niche of like dirty underbelly of Italian American culture, like <laughs> all these fucking washed up whether they're actors or actual mobsters or mob adjacent, like all these people who try to turn like being a mobster into a living, but like mm-hmm. a straight living as opposed to yeah. actually being a mobster is like- just so. Like cringy. I can't it's I can't a, get behind eh,
1: that. Maron, I gotta fucking pot do this ten ninety-nine. I made too much money on my Patreon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs>
0: what the fuck? This is so Uh-oh. gangster,
1: buddy. Oh, <laughs> this is the gangsterest shit ever. But as that was a digression. The whole point is all of the different ways in movies we can examine death. Like uh even something like and I hate to end on this downer, but one of the deaths that I never liked because I didn't feel like it meant anything was uh, like Han Solo's death. I felt mm. like it meant that, that Harrison Ford wanted to not do the movies anymore. Didn't like that. I'd rather Han Solo died a fucking I don't know a fucking a car crash. <laughs> I'd rather he get sucked up into the Terminator, into the tornado that killed pa Kent than get ah. get stabbed oh, ignominiously.
0: <laughs> I mean, if we're just, just gonna talking about throw, shitty deaths, dude, we're just going to throw out <laughs> shitty deaths. Honestly, like does star Wars have one good death in any of the movies?
1: I mean, you're supposed to think that Vader's is good,
0: but see Vader's. I mean, (laughs) I would almost say the emperor has the best death. Like fucking (laughs) he gets lifted over Darth Vader's head as force lightning shoots everywhere and thrown down a giant hole. Like I'll take that. But like every other death in star Wars, at least in the movies is so underwhelming. I mean, Boba starting Fett with obi-wan kenobi uh starting Boba with yeah yep yeah. i mean even qui-gon like i don't know yeah. stabbed in the gut after like waving his lightsaber around a bunch darth maul's death i guess is suit is kind of cool he gets chopped in half and falls down a hole but no i'll i'll really go to die. bat for
1: i'll go to bat for that one being bad because you they got you dead to rights you're light, you're at his feet there's no way you could flip up directly in front of him, slash him, and do a flip over him without him doing stuff with his double sided light. There's no way. Mm. If, wh- what's the use of the force? What's the use of all those kung fu moves, all that flipping and dipping that he was doing just a minute ago, fighting both of y'all? Mm-hmm. And now he's gonna get. He's he, you have the low ground. He has a high ground. You have the low ground. There's no way for you to win. There was no way for you to get the high ground without getting sliced in half yourself. If you force pushed him, maybe, and then flipped or something. I don't know. I, we're not gonna get down that rabbit hole. I'm just saying, like th- that is a bad death. Don't don't put that in the good
0: pile because that's a bad one too. I'm telling you, man. Like, and I I even like the ending of the Last Jedi, but like that was a little bit. All right, now we need to get Luke Skywalker out of the movie so that we d- out of the movie so that he doesn't save the day. So up, oh, he mm-hmm. overexerted himself and became one with the four. See ya. Like, bye. Bye. <laughs> I mean, honestly, best. <laughs> Best death in all of the Star Wars movies? That fucking Jedi kid that goes, Master Skywalker, what are we going to do? (laughs) <laughs> Give it up for that kid. Martyr. Martyr for the cause. <laughs> Martyr for the fucking cause. <laughs> but
1: yeah, uh, well, okay, as as a dismount, we've talked about like the the deaths of comic book characters. I think there's a couple of them that stood the test of time. Hmm. And I just want to talk about one of them, the fucking the Gwen Stacy one. Do you think it was worth it? I'm going to say yes. By the way, to like bring Gwen Stacy back in spider Gwen form, not in clone bullshit form, not that bullshit. Cause I think that really tarnished in a big way. Gwen Stacy's death, the, the, the clones of her and her, like, I think she had twin clones or t- clones at daughters, some weird bullshit they did with, I think, uh, Osborne and the Jackal.
0: Oh yeah. She was, she was, uh, retconned into having had an affair with Norman Osborne. Oh. died. Oh, yeah. Oh, but see, and and this goes back to, I think, one of the first ones we talked about. If we've learned anything from both Spider-Gwen and Gamora, it's like if you want more mileage out of a dead character, go the alternate universe route. Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. create a new create a new milieu in which you can explore that character, you know, in different circumstances Don't just bring them back into the story for the sake of bringing them back into the same story like that. That always sucks. Even like Bucky turning into the winter soldier is a cool story. But the fact that the winter soldier then sticks around and now they have to figure out what to do with the guy. Yeah, sucks.
1: Yep. 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 I agree with you, man. It's like the alternate universe is like, okay, that's a second chance on life. But if you just bring back the same person, it's not a second chance on life. It's a second chance to be boring and status quo, yeah. which isn't the jam. The, inter- the multi-universe multiverse characters are more interesting. They, they, they yield all these possibilities by their and, very existence.
0: And I'll just do one more free plug for no other reason than I really enjoyed it. Across the Spider-Verse gets into, in a real way, that idea of like, how using characters in alternate universes kind of allows you to tell stories that rhyme but aren't forced and like where you're coming up with all these complex like I don't want to spoil anything in the movie but it's like rather than find some ham fisted way to make Gwen Stacy live again in the 616 create a universe where Gwen Stacy never dies but some other crazy shit happens because it why, would, why do we care about just having the same thing we've always had? Oh, but this one character has never died. Like, the more mm-hmm. interesting storytelling device is, okay, create a world in which they haven't died, but other dramatic occurrences have happened, and so our status quo becomes completely different, and now you have a new sandbox to play in. Like, that, I think, is just a better use of the resurrection trope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh I'm just gonna pitch as we as we uh dismount here, this is the end of the episode, but you can catch our addendum of this, because there is definitely an addendum on greatest deaths. I'll throw one out there right now. Um an alien Charles S. Dutton, alien three, Charles S. Dutton punching an alien and getting killed in a in a boxing match with a fucking alien. Hey, I don't want to mention death, man. We can't fit it into this episode. So patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. We're going to have a whole bunch of those on an episode. Uh, uh, And uh, I'm going to get into some of the uh, ignominious deaths Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, But this one was uh, about the ones that really affected us in a pop culture way. And what really affects us is you giving us a five-star review (laughs) of damn giving us a (laughs) five-star review is awesome it's a great way to communicate with us because we read every single review that we get so please please review the podcast please join the patreon patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod please watch the greatest pod youtube channel and please send us emails where they where can
0: they send us emails at bill you would send to and you have to type this all out Email the greatest pod include the word email, but no spaces, no punctuation. Email the greatest pod at gmail.com. This has been the autopsied, embalmed, buried episode of the greatest.
1: Pod. I died. <laughs>